from 1 Kings 18, which records the dramatic Mount Carmel experience when Elijah prayed down far from heaven. But I begin at the 30th verse, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench round about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order, and cut the bullock in pieces, and laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. And he said, Do it the second time, and they did it the second time, and he said, Do it the third time, and they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Elijah on Carmel, and it sets a pattern for revival today. Israel had been beset by drought and famine. And it had rained on neither the just or the unjust. Wickedness was in high places, and Ahab and Jezebel were in authority. Idolatry prevailed, but God had a faithful remnant. He also had a prophet who called for a confrontation. He called for a confrontation with the priests of Baal. He said, we'll have to have a showdown before we can have any showers. Have you ever thought of that? One reason we're not having showers of blessing today in the church, we haven't had a showdown yet. What are you going to do about it? Serve God or Baal? And evil has to be dealt with first before God. Then he'll send the fire from above and the water, the showers of blessing. Elijah repaired the broken down altar of sacrifice Put the sacrifice on it. But I want you to notice something that I've never heard a sermon about in my life. Maybe you have. 
Before he ever prayed down fire from heaven, he did something generally overlooked or barely mentioned even in the commentaries. He poured 12 barrels of water all over the sacrifice and drenched the altar before he asked God for a miracle. Now, why did he go to all the trouble of having 12 barrels of water poured over the sacrifice? I've never been able to get any help out of the Bible books on this. Not much. Well, he did it to make it plain that there wasn't any trick to it. There wasn't any hidden fire under the altar. He set the stage so that God might be the only performer. He was out to make God conspicuous. And he said, Hear me, O God, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Everything was made as difficult as possible in order that God might get the glory. A beloved Elijah didn't build a little fire so that God wouldn't have such a hard time sending a big fire down there. Let's get this straight. There's a terrific lesson here. And instead of helping God out by warming up the odor, he drenched the place. When God does his wonders in this world, he wants no flesh to glory in his presence. For they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And throughout the scriptures, the miracles that uh, happened to people took place when they put themselves in position of such helpless desperation that only God could do anything. The priests marching around Jericho, perfectly ridiculous, expecting the walls to flatten out. Whoever heard of taking a wall city by such tactics as that? They even shouted before the walls fell. <laughs> Anybody can shout after they fall. They were so sure they celebrated in advance. Then Gideon, with his 32,000, decimated down to a pitiful 300 with lamps and pitchers. What sort of strategy is that? Today, I suppose the experts would want to raise 50,000 by a well-organized promotion campaign, and uh, they'd want to make a survey of the Midianites, work out all the logistics before they tried it, David refused the conventional armor of Saul to tackle this Philistine giant and went out with sling and stone. What sort of business is that? But if Gideon had won by the usual means, they would have claimed the credit, as the Bible says. And uh, David, uh, if he had gone up against Goliath in his own strength, he'd had something to brag about. But they did it that all the earth may know, not that there's a David in the camp, but that there's a God in Israel. He was out to make God conspicuous. Now, beloved, the conditions today are just about the, much the same as they were in the times of Elijah. We're living in a spiritual drought. There's a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. Ahab and Jezebel sit in high places. Idolatry abounds. And yet God has his faithful remnant. We need an Elijah who can face Ahab and call a convocation on Carmel and a confrontation with Baal and a showdown with the forces of evil. We're a little short on prophets. Uh, we need to rebuild the broken altars and put the sacrifice of a dedicated life thereupon. But before we can expect any fire from heaven, we must drench the altar. I've heard plenty of preaching about rebuilding the altar. I've heard sermons about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. 
But the hardest lesson for anybody in Christian service to learn is that we cannot help God out in the slightest by warming up the altar in the energy of the flesh. We try to start a fire of our own, think that'll help out God's fire. Don't do it. We're ashamed to be laughed at by the world. We don't dare face the Midianites with Gideon's band. So we mobilize, we don't mobilize, we mobilize a multitude who know little and care less about spiritual warfare, who never have understood that the battle is the Lord's and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're afraid to face old Goliath today with sling and stone. We want to wear the latest equipment, and Saul's armory is working overtime. We must be up to date and borrow all the techniques of the world to do the work of God. But you can't organize revivals like you do secular things, like the world puts on its drives and campaigns. You can't run a church like a business corporation. You cannot uh, work up mere human enthusiasm to put over the work of the Lord. Oh, of course, we all give lip service to the Holy Spirit and quote, uh, not by might nor power, but by my spirit. And we sing, kindle a flame of sacred love on these cold hearts of ours. But actually... We're so wired up with our own devices these days that if the fire doesn't fall from heaven, we can turn on the switch and produce some false fire of our own. And if there's no sound of a mighty rushing wind, we've got the bellows all set to blow hot air instead. The God that answereth by fire, not by feelings, not by fame, not by finances, but by fire. Uh, you can blow up quite a blaze today on Carmel. We can do it. Yes, but people are not crying out today, the Lord, he is God. The world's not stunned at the power of the church today. They're making fun of us. You can build a great church without the Holy Spirit. Put up big buildings, raise a lot of money, and take in a lot of members. But we must learn, beloved, that they that are in the flesh cannot please God, no matter how cultured or religious or sincere, Sometimes a lawyer is chosen to teach the Bible class because he's a good talker. Well, now, that never qualified anybody to teach him, a Bible class. And uh, a banker is uh, selected to be church treasurer because he handles money all week. Well, it's, that's all right as far as that goes, but that's not enough qualification. And just because some woman's got a diploma from a music conservatory does not necessarily qualify her to sing the solo in the choir. She may sing Sigh, Lily Ponds, couldn't sing bass to it. But if she's not in the power of the Spirit, she can't sing to the glory of God. Now, beloved, we've got to throw cold water all over the best that we can do. There positively won't be any visitation from heaven until our richest gain we count but loss and pour contempt on all our pride. Now, we've got to get around to that, and I don't see it. I see a lot of bragging and boasting. I tell my own denomination again and again. I told them at our recent two evangelistic conferences. Uh, I don't. I hear a lot of bragging about us. I said I think we ought to have one of our Southern Baptist conventions in Los Angeles. I said they got a lot of smog out there, and I think we could blow it out in three days. <laughs> We're rich and increased with goods. Don't know how wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked we are. I belong to a church with 3,800 members and $3 million worth of buildings, and uh, we had, we've had only two pastors in uh, 
58 years. One was there 38 and came back the other day on his 91st birthday to preach. Well, he wrote a book on the history of the church, and he said in this book that less than a hundred years ago, the people who were members then were laughed at, and the pastor was hissed when he walked down the street. Now, that's less than a hundred years ago. And I stood in that lovely auditorium some time ago. I had a meeting there a year, uh, over a year ago. But I stood there one Sunday, and I quoted what Dr. Clyde Turner had said. And I said, now, how come? They're not laughing at us now when we go down the street. Why? You say, the world's getting better. I said, no, you don't believe that. No intelligent person believes that. Well, then how come? Because we've developed a low-grade Christianity today that does not bring on the ridicule of the world at all. We're the in folks. We're not confronting old Baal. We're having a summit meeting. We're engaged in dialogue, working out uh, peaceful coexistence. We're not having desperate prayer meetings. Why, why, why bother God today? We can do it. And this multitude at Carmel was impressed because it was utterly impossible and unthinkable that fire should consume an altar that was soaked with 12 barrels of water. We're afraid to shock the world today with a miraculous Christianity. We've developed a brand of religion as much like the world as possible so that worldlings won't feel embarrassed when they join church. is isn't enough change to embarrass them. They're almost good enough. They don't need a miracle. They just need to join the church. And then there's the new doctrine going around, neo-universalism, that teaches everybody saved anyhow. They just don't know it. And it's our business to go around and tell everybody. We're just giving out information on that point. We tone down the contrast between the world and the church so that nobody will feel any radical change switching over from Baal to Jehovah. But there's no miracle about all of this, and this pagan world today is not standing there looking at us and saying, the Lord, he is God. And as long as we try to help God perform his miracles, nothing's going to happen. He doesn't want the altar warmed up. Now, we're calling in all kind of contraptions from the world and all kind of entertainment from the world and all kind of devices to warm up the altar, get the thing in a good way, and then, of course, we want God to come down. Why, yes, we want the fire from heaven. But let's warm it up. Elijah said, douse the thing. Twelve barrels of water. That's, a, that's almost too much water. Douse the thing. We're decorating the altar today. We're not drenching. Job abhorred himself and repented in dust and ashes. Isaiah, woe is me. Daniel, my comeliness is turned to corruption. Paul, we preach not ourselves. And the chief of sinners... Don't forget that the wisdom of God's foolishness to men and his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Don't forget that the wisdom of God's foolishness to men and his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And it was a, an old saint who said something years ago with the unanswerable logic when he said this, if the preaching of the cross is to the world foolishness, that automatically makes the preachers of the cross to the world fools. Now, that's a terrific statement. And it's logical. And there's no answer to it. If you're preaching something that's foolishness, that you're a fool preaching it. 
world can't understand the way God works any more than the inhabitants of Jericho could understand the strategy of Joshua or the Midianites, the strategy of Gideon, or the Philistines, the strategy of David. We try to operate the church like the world in order to be accepted by this age. Now, Elijah made it perfectly clear here with 12 barrels of water that if God didn't come down, he'd look like the biggest fool in all history standing there before all that multitude expecting fire to fall. Now, if it didn't, you see where that would leave Elijah. But we're afraid to do that today. We say, suppose it doesn't fall. So we'd better warm up the thing. Let's call in the world to sort of boost it up and draw out a crowd and all the rest of it. I believe with all my soul when we quit depending on our gadgets and gimmicks and standing on nothing but the promises of God, risking our reputation and our future on him, staking everything on miracle instead of on men and machinery and mere money, the fire of all. We're not here to demonstrate what we can do for God because the eyes of the Lord run to and fro to show himself strong in our behalf, not to show us strong in his behalf. That's an entirely different thing. To make God conspicuous today, buildings and scholarship and statistics and prestige, that's all. It has its place, but it's not of God alone. How many people walk out of church saying, God is here? God's way off today. Heard of old Bud Robinson, went to a place one time to hold a meeting, and it was so dry, and it was just a miserable week. He was staying with the preacher, and one afternoon the preacher heard him pray, and you could have heard him all over the county. And the preacher said, why, Uncle Bud, God's not dead. He said, I know he's not dead, but he's a long ways from this place. And you feel like that sometimes. He uh, was remote. Well, I'm not talking about a false humility either. And Moses tried that, and Jeremiah tried that. Humility does not consist in thinking meanly of oneself. It consists in not thinking of oneself at all. You're not humble because you think meanly of yourself. That can be pride, just in reverse. Humility, you just don't think about yourself. That's a different art altogether. Uh, simply recognizing that when all said and done, unless God intervenes, all our doings are a waste of time. And with all the committees and the promotion and the devices and the advertising and pack the pew and the contests and the banana bunches and the slogans and the hootenannies and pin the tail on the donkey and all the rest of these tricks to try to get folks interested in the things of God. That's no good unless the fire comes down from heaven. We need to appoint one more committee. I'm sorry to have to recommend it. We are overloaded, but I would like to appoint one more committee, and that is a committee to pour 12 barrels of water over all our devices today, the water-pouring committee. Discourage all that we're doing. A drenched odor's a pretty soggy-looking sight. If you don't remember anything else that I say tonight, take this thought home with you. It is the drenched altar that God sets on fire. Now that can apply to your own heart. It can apply to your church. It's the drenched altar. Now, I'm not discouraging what we're doing. Whoever did more than Elijah. I'm not preaching a do-nothing religion. Whoever worked harder at it than Elijah, but he realized that only God can save the situation, and he soaked the odor to make it perfectly plain that if any fire fell, it'd have to come from heaven. 
And any effort to make that altar sizzle before God struck it, it would be a stench in the nostrils of the Almighty. God is able to make it burn, and God resents our trying to make it burn. It is said that back in Florence, long ago, Lorenzo, the famous Lorenzo of Florence, put on a pageant of Pentecost. Made a big play out of it. They had the stage here, and he had it fixed so that at a certain time, fire would actually fall. And he had the twelve apostles all lined up here, and they say the thing went along fairly well, but something went wrong, and the fire fell and set the apostles on fire and set the curtains on fire, and they almost burned up the place. They had the wrong kind of fire. Well, we're trying to stage Pentecost today, but a lot of it's play acting, and the multitude is not saying the Lord is God. You see, karma was not a performance, it was an experience. And Dr. Phillips says Christianity started as an experience, but it has become a performance. The disciples in the upper room didn't spend their time whooping up enthusiasm, working up plans and techniques. They didn't put on a kickoff supper, you know, just before Pentecost. And they were at the end of the rope. They had been behind closed doors for fear. And unless God intervened, the cause was lost. And today we kindle strange fire and stage fire on the altar. And I mentioned to the preachers last week that I see song leaders over America trying to pull a song out of people's hearts when it isn't in there. Trying to get uh, out of the well what isn't in there. And uh, we can rekindle the fire if we've ever had it, as Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift of God that's within you, but you can't start that fire. It's not worked up from down here. It comes down from above. You see, we must die to all the efforts of the flesh to please God. And then there will be plenty of use for sanctified enthusiasm, hard work, plans, programs, but only after the altar's been set on fire. The fruit growers uh, use baskets and in the church we have to have organization and methods and programs and they're important and they're necessary but if the fruit crop fails and there's no life in the trees you're not going to improve matters by buying better baskets and today we are turning out the best baskets we've ever had but there's a failure in the fruit crop and maybe it needs plowing and maybe it needs cultivation and a lot of things instead we're saying well, we've got the best baskets we ever had don't you see how perfectly ridiculous this sort of business is? I went a couple of years ago to the Sunday school board of my own convention in Nashville, Tennessee. That's a tremendous business, you know, that gets out this literature for all these Southern Baptists. They asked me to come and preach for a week. And I preach just like it was an old-fashioned revival out in the country somewhere because everybody needs the same thing anyhow. And uh, uh, Dr. Sullivan, who is the president of it, however, they... He led off by a statement I haven't forgotten. He said, ball games are not won by plays, they're won by players. And I said, you have to have plays, and the captain, the coach, they think out the plays, you have to have strategy, but you never won a ball game just by plays, it takes the players after all. I guess we've got some of the best plays today that have ever been devised in all our denominations, all our religious set up, but the players the quality of the people who are implementing and uh, carrying out all this paraphernalia. And how preachers need to make sure, and Sunday school teachers, 
that you've got real fire and not artificial. Behold, all ye that kindle a fire and compass yourselves about with sparks. Walk in the light of the fire and the sparks you've kindled. This shall ye have of mine hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. Nowadays, it's assumed when the church calls a preacher that if he has sufficient ability, education, personality, public relations, he's got it made. Rarely do we know of any uh, pulpit committee that asks, is the fire of God on him? Now, I believe in getting all the education you can, developing all the personality you can, learning all the methods you can, and pour 12 barrels of water over the whole business. <laughs> over the whole business. Inundated. Because it's only the drenched altar that God sets on fire. The philosophy of Christianity runs counter to all the wisdom of this world. And whenever anybody tries to use the wisdom of this world to advance the cause of Christianity, he gets in trouble every time. Preachers do. Laymen do. Uh, God's work has to be done by God's people, God's way. And we're uh, a little bit embarrassed today to just be New Testament Christians. It's kind of out of date, and we're afraid that if we get out there and just expect God to send the fire down, maybe he won't, and then we'll be there holding the bag, as it were, and all the world looking on, and we're a little embarrassed. And so we say, well, we better prop it up a little. We better warm up the altar, and then it won't be so hard for God to send the fire down. Well, that doesn't uh, present God with any problem, whatever. And so if you're inclined, you go back to your church now to do whatever you do back there. Please carry this truth with you, that it's the drenched altar that God sets on fire. Our Father, we are so weak. We are living in a world that measures everything by its own standards, and sometimes we get nervous, Lord, and we get a little bit timid, and we are afraid just to be old-fashioned Christians and we think we've got to prop it up and warm up the older Lord teaches, teaches that nothing's too hard for thee. It's, and when we have uh, built the older and laid the sacrifice thereupon, Lord, help us to do the third thing. Help us to drench the altar and then say, Lord, now if anything's going to happen, you'll have to do it. If, any, if there's any blessing comes out of this sermon, you're going to have to do it. If my home is going to be what it ought to be, I've done my, what I can do, but uh, the miracle's got to come from above. If this Sunday school lesson's going to be any good and not just hit the wall like a rubber ball and bounce back, you're going to have to make the difference. Well, we thank thee, Lord, that thou dost make the difference. Give us in our lives what makes that difference, Lord. But help us not to go leaning on the arm of flesh because we'll fail every time. Bless this truth to our hearts in Christ's name. Amen.